Yes, that's right. You would sit there and you would dance to the music and move your little body. And this is my mother telling me the story that I'd asked over and over again for her to tell me. How I was a dancer before I could even walk. And she would delight and giggle and tell me about that. And then she would remind me that I was the last one of her babies to learn how to walk. Hmm. This is Michelle Spiva. And I want to welcome you to another podcast of Wisdom Smack. And today we're going to be talking about S's and L's, a.k.a. curves and angles. I'll see you on the flip. I relished in the fact that I had great rhythm and I was able to connect with my body. What I didn't have was a body type made for a dancer. You see, as a little kid, I I wasn't chunky, but I wasn't life and long and good lines. And so my dancing uh, would probably fit better in a herky-jerky hip-hop song of today than it would in the contemporary Alvin Alien, Alien, oh, please forgive me, Alvin, <laughs> Alvin Ailey dance style that was popular when I was a little, little kid. So I was like, okay, I can do this. I can do this. I would go grow up and throughout I would take dance lessons and I was determined I was going to be long in life like a tree. And I would see different people who had that ability and the way their bodies were made. And then puberty hit and yep, I started developing and I started developing. Yes, indeed. There was no way I was going to be a dancer. So I moved over and joined the band at my little um, elementary school and then into junior high. And here we were. I was now going to be in the marching band on our way down to our first Mardi Gras parade. Yeah. I had taken all of that talent. Now, I've told you before that I tried out for this little dance troupe in our band, um, and I didn't make it, and my heart was broken. And again, I just didn't have the body for it. Let's just be honest. Didn't have the body for it. But I guess in hindsight, as a consolation prize, they did allow me to become the majorette. And it was actually the band director who first taught me how to twirl a baton. And I would go and he would teach me in the backyard and his wife would sit there and give her critique of what he was doing to make it harder than it needed to be. And it was just fun. And I learned, but I wanted it to be so good that I went on and, and, um, took it further. Now, this time we didn't have ready access to the internet and it was a big production trying to go to the library and uh, log on to the modem and try to see if there was something. So what I did was is I went back and intrepid as I was, because remember, I'm a voracious reader. My mother has taught us the value of going to the library, knowing the Dewey Decimal System and looking things up. I started with Philip Sousa and the marching bands, and I went from there and I delved into um, how to be a majorette. My mother took me to one of her friends who used to be a majorette, who showed me even more things to the point where... (sighs) 
I'm not going to brag, but I am going to say that I could twirl three batons at once and two fire batons at once. Yes, two fire batons. Look at me. So anyway, we are now down in New Orleans for my first Mardi Gras ever. Now, I I was raised in the top part of the state, um, and uh, there was a, a... I, I told you I lived in a, a, a university town and our town was small. And so going down to the largest city of uh, the state was a big deal. And I was here for it. And because I was really good at twirling my batons and, and dancing with them, because remember, I was a dancer in my mind, I was so ready. But there was that week of preparation that we had to go through. and. Our band director told us, he was like, this is not like what you think. We, we're we going to be marching for miles. And everybody was like, yeah, 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 we got this. And he was like, no, we have to learn. I have to teach you how to march. And we had already gone through it. We, we knew how to be um, in the middle of um, the, the field based on our marching counts and all of that, he was like, no, that's precision marking. There is a difference between precision marking and troop marching. And so he proceeds to teach us. All of a sudden, he's frustrated. He calls out the dancers and he's like, you guys come here. I'm going to teach you something. And everybody's rolling their eyes because the dancers never had to march. They would just strut out onto the field. And uh, everybody's looking at them like, why is he using them to teach us how to march? And he tells them, he says, y'all, I want you to do an eight count. And I just want you to, you know, march in eight, march in eight. And so they do it. And without much in, uh, much direction at all, the way their feet hit the ground is so light. It has a little spring to it. They, they look like little uh, happy little bunnies as they're, they're marching on their eight count. And he says again and again and again. And then he tells them to stop. And he says, you guys, and he, talk, he talks to some of the guys. He's like, quit all going, you know, their bodies or whatever. He says, what I want you to notice is, is that there is a rhythmic movement of keeping the feet moving. He says, what you guys do when you hit the feel is that you pause and you stop and then you pick up the other foot. He says, that is great for making sure that it looks snappy and that it looks great on a feel for visuals. He says, but when you are marching with troops across um, longer distances, you have to be light on your feet and you have to keep them moving. And at the time, I was too busy rolling my eyes because you see, I still had an attitude about not making that team. And I was still salty about it because I could do that too. <laughs> but in the long run, it, it proved to be so valuable because little did we know that this parade route they had for us was well over three miles, well over. And when you are in the um, in the thick of things, when you are starting and stopping, when you are also having to play at different points and uh, continue to march in a cadence and, and go through that, it's totally different than when you're just marching from the stands to the field. And we were starting to feel the fatigue. And not for nothing, I thought that that route was way longer than three miles. And 
truth be told, because I went to school in New Orleans after that, I'm not going to call out. I'm I'm not going to call my band uh, director out, but I'm going to say, I know, I know what you did. I know what you did. So y'all, wink, wink. It was longer than three miles. You know, okay, it was longer. So what, what was my big wisdom smack from that? At the time, nothing. I was just tired. And the thing is, is we were scheduled to do three parades, three, count them, three. So we get there on the weekend and uh, we march in a small parade. He says, I wanted you all to march in this smaller parade that wasn't in the city. It was in one of the suburbs for a local uh, crew. He says, because um, we're going to practice and look at your form and get you ready. So we do that one. And we're a little fatigued, but we're like, oh, yeah, we can do this. We can do this. And he's like, well, y'all were sloppy. And so he had us practice. So the next day was going to be Monday, Monday, where the big shows happened in the city and the uh, larger crews are doing this. And we were going to be marching at night. And so he's like, this is going to be a longer parade route. And we're like, we got this. It's all good and everything. And he's like, I'm going to be watching again, uh, you know, because he's marching with us, but he's going along the sidelines and everything. And he's ex-military. So you can imagine. Um, and he's like, horns up and, and, you know, I'd have to twirl. And I'm going to tell you, twirling. Your, not only your batons, but your body and staying in step like he wanted. Yeah, I got to work out that night. I only took one baton and um, I would only have to really twirl a lot and do my tosses when we were at certain uh, points where there were uh, review stands for people, you know, where we would, would perform. And didn't still dawn on me that there was a major thing that I was learning uh, going through this. Now, the following day was showtime, and we had a great spot close to one of uh, the coveted floats that everybody liked. And that meant that we had to show off the entire time. That's the one that I was like, yeah, he got us with this one. And I remember going uh, through those motions and, and learning and, and, and having people just applaud us and all this kind of stuff. And it was great. It was fun. And when we came back, my mom was like, well, how did you do, Sweet Pea? Because she couldn't, you know, go because of uh, work and everything. But I'm telling her, I was like, Mommy, I learned how to dance march. And she was like, dance march? And I was like, yeah, I learned how to dance march. And I, I, I showed her how to dance march. And she was like, hmm, that looks like something that I've seen before. And um, she was like, you learned how to prance. I was like, prance? And she made, made me look up the, the word and all of that. And um, from then on, I, I learned that there was a, um, a correlation, if you will, between dancing and marching. And so learning how to dance march would bode me well uh, a lot of times. I mean, sometimes when I would have to uh, make it through uh, standing uh, for a long time or having to walk, I'd actually prance a little bit. I was like, okay, this, this works because it would take the stress off of uh, my feet and all of that. So now you're like, okay, Michelle, you've told us this story. What does this have to do with S's and L's, curves and uh, angles? Well, I'm glad you asked. Even if you didn't, you should be asking. But anyway, <laughs> let me get back to this. There is something to be said about the process of movement to be able to learn. 
You see, after doing those three parades and learning that, I learned the power of a light touch. But not only that, I learned the power of continuous smooth movement to take on angular, impactful processes. I would be able to translate this into how I learned, how I attacked problems and all of that. And so uh, there is a book that I, I, I want to mention today, and it's a famous book. It's a foundational book. If you've already read it, great for you. If you haven't, I encourage you to get it. I will tell you that because it is written by a professor of renown, Dr. Daniel Kahneman, uh, back in a time where he was writing for academics, he really wasn't trying to, to write in today's conversational. It, it might uh, read a little uh, stodgy or um, professorial or even um, uh, a- a- analytic, but it's worth it. But you know me, you know I got you. I'm going to give you one of the big points about it. And in that, he talked about his evolution of how he learned the two main ways that we think. And he came up with thinking fast and slow. He made reference to a few other people who uh, groups who were doing similar uh, observations and experiments at the time when he was formulating his idea, and he brought in their concepts and he he drilled it down to system one and system two thinking. And what I was realizing is that uh, I had many instances growing up where I was engaging in these without having a proper title for them to be able to learn and to put things into into motion, and so. Real quick, system one thinking, uh, and other people have come to re- to rename these in, in easier ways to remember them. So system one thinking is also the trusting mind. It is the one that you do uh, subconscious, uh, unconsciously, if you will. You know, somebody, you know, uh, says, and what's your name? And you don't even have to think about it. You give them your name. Um, if you tell them, um, I mean, if they ask you something, it's the first response that you don't even have to think of. It's the, the off the cuff kind of thing. So it's the trusting mind. And it's usually developed by behaviors of habit and things that have uh, become known to your subconscious. And then there is the training mind, which would be system two. Two and system two is that analytical mind. It's hesitant. It takes a little bit more because it's an evaluating. It's uh, employing the front lo- uh, frontal uh, lobe of logic to be able to evaluate all of these things. And so, I didn't realize that because um, I had gone through these experiments of dance and then marching bands and all of that, I was doing the physical understanding of a trusting and a training mind. You see, dance is a fluid. It's an S. It um, allows you to elongate and to stretch and to uh, explore. Whereas marching is a count, a staccato one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, the march. And learning how to blend those two, where you had a little hop at the top and um, and and you wanted, and, and this was the thing, you wanted to uh, diminish the impact of the foot landing on the ground and and I remember him saying, treat it as a spring. When that foot hits the ground, it springs the other foot up with a little bit of an imperceptible hop so that it's kind of like a continuous walk, a continuous something. And 
that was a revelation, a, a revelation to me when I'm learning this, this uh, training mind and the trusting mind. And the reason why it was a revelation to me is because when I was in school in my upper classes, uh, learning how to have good critical thinking by itself was giving me a problem. How many times uh, have you had it where you had to learn a new concept and maybe it's science and because of the fields I was in, I had to do a lot of science classes where we use the Socratic method of being able to uh, decide um do the dialysis of it and then do the differentiations and the divisions down to the smallest parts. That's that march. That's that one, two, three, because they wanted it to be very replicatable. If you do it, somebody else should do it. It's kind of like uh, the unfun way of doing a recipe. But because I had that dancer side, that that creative side, I always wanted to put that little prance hop in there and people weren't having it. And so it made it a little hard for me. But when I started realizing that um, S's and L's, curves and ankles are meant to be uh, explored and put together, it started to click. And then when I got to Dr. Kahneman's uh, book of Thinking Fast and Slow, and he talks about these two minds, and then he starts to talk about how well they work together, that's when my world exploded. You see, back in the day when these theories were coming out, they wanted to assign these types of thinking to different uh, gendered brains. And they wanted to say that S's, S's are more of a female type of uh, brain uh, activity uh, because that was the exploratory in that it uh, meandered and explored and did not uh, adhere to a plan. Uh, it was the, the smooth movement to uh, go off of beaten tracks, uh, but eventually get to uh, a destination. Whereas angles or L's, 90 degrees and those types of things, they wanted to go to the straightest route to hit points. And then they would, from that point, go to another straight route and, and that. And I was like, uh I don't know if I can only think in angles. And so I actually had my analytical part bolstered uh, in my formative training. But I would always go back to the fact that my mother said you were a dancer before you walked. And dancing just, you know, was an S movement, was an undulating uh, way of connecting. I didn't have to get off the ground to do it and I could do it. But when I learned to walk, I had to trust to be able to pick up my foot and put it down and find a way to balance my body while I was only on one foot before the next footfall would land. And so that was the analytical part. Now, S's and L's. I wanted to talk about these because in today's society, one of the biggest things that I am noticing that people approach me for is my ability to have a creative presentation of uh, critical thinking, meaning they like for me to write stuff for them that spruces up the data or present something in a different angle with flair and entertainment. and 
by going through and learning the different ways of uh, approaching something. Um, Like I said, I started with the body, with the movement. And so it taught me um, that dance and marching uh, can work together to create something new that's not so taxing on your body and that achieves the same goal to make it appear like you are doing a march, but you're not impacting your joints on hard um, hot asphalt for for miles, and it really uh, gave me the underpinning and the foundations for when I'd have to start learning how to critically think in my undergrad and graduate programs, because I did always have that ability to be creative. Um, there was there was a show recently by um, a person. Um, I think his name is John Oliver. And I saw a snippet of it on on YouTube that they had put up. And he was talking about automation. And he talked about some of the things that you would really need if you wanted to uh, keep your job going into the future. And he talked about being able to uh, have a critical mind, being able to do things that can't be easily uh, replicated or automated. And um, he talked about being able to... uh, communicate in a a unique way or have some type of specialty. And I looked at it and I was like, wow, this is talking about being able to manage your system one and system two thinking, being able to dance and march, being able to think in the S's and think in L's, you know, think in the creative and think in the logical. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. And then I looked at um, a lot of my income it's, you know, I'll just be honest with you. A lot of my income comes from my ability to write, my ability to express clear thoughts through writing, my ability to uh, bring the creative in with the logical to give different aspects and different bends to it. And I was like, okay, he's right. And so when I'm talking about uh, the, the wisdom smack that has been hitting me is that those who are able to be able to uh, read, understand, uh, and then articulate. And I said read and understand because a lot of the stuff that you're going to be uh, relying on is this database of knowledge that you have to uh, be able to to develop. Um, But then you have to be able to uh, articulate it. And, And for a lot of people, there is still the written format. Let's just be honest. It's there. It still is, and you 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 need to be able to do that. But not even that. It's not even the formats of written or spoken or video or text. It's not even that. It's the ability to uh, produce it. And so, um, when I was teaching myself how to write faster for fiction, I looked at the 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 tool that writers use, which are called sprints, where you just write for 25 minutes. They use sprints and they call it a Pomodoro method where you write for 25 minutes and then you stop for five minutes and then you write for 25 minutes and stop. And they tell you, don't try to edit, don't try to think, just write. What they're saying is, is for 25 minutes, they want you to use your trusting mind, which is the system one thinking, the the gut feelings and just put the stuff on the page. And then uh, they want you to continue to do that because when you... 
tap into the creative, the S's, it allows you to meander and find different pathways and different ways of uh, approaching your uh, subject that's going to be interesting and new. And then after that, after you've gotten the words out, then they say you can go back and edit, which is the training mind, where that's the editing. That's where you take the time to make sure the grammar is right, the the flow is right, and all the mechanics and the tools needed to logically convey the story based on what uh, is needful for the good bones and foundation of story. And I'm going to tell you something. It is harder to do trusting mind the S's than it is the L's. And that is partly because we spend so much time trying to teach people how to have critical thinking, the L's, the angles. And that is because they need to be able to be replicatable for so many people. And thus they they tend to be very stringent or narrow in how you can do that. And so when you ask someone to, to hop back over into that S, to those dancing moves, they get a little lost. They, they, they're like, well, where's the count? Well, how do I pick up my feet? I, I remember there was almost a mutiny rebellion when uh, our band director had to get the brass section and the drum line to go with this type of marching. And they were like, I'm not doing it. To the point where some of them, they just shuffled their way <laughs> down the street. And they had the foot blisters to, to um, you know, to boot. Um, but it, it, it was, it, and, and, and at the t- I'm like, I said, at the time, I didn't think anything of it, you know, that it might be hard for people to dance. It might be hard for people to do the S move and, and, and think in S's and, uh, circuitous routes and, uh, being able to meander. I didn't realize that. I did not, uh, realize that for some people, they've always naturally thought in angles and L's. And, with an, and, and and they've always thought of just let me have economy and let me get to the point. Um, I sometimes laugh because I am a very much S thinker. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know I will meander through, but I eventually get to the point. I sure do. And for people who are just L thinkers, just angle thinkers, it drives them mad. Get to the point. Why are you telling me all these stories? Well, guess what? This podcast isn't for you. But I also appreciate them because that is their orientation. But I just came by to tell you that the wisdom of today is saying that being on one side or the other is not enough. You got to know how to embrace both and come up with something new. You got to learn how to prance your way down that street where you're incorporating S and L, where you are incorporating the creative as well as the critical, where you are incorporating the ability to be uh, off the beaten track with a new idea and finding a way to make it where other people can replicate it, but still have their own creative way of doing it as well. Um, recently, one of the best things that I've seen these days that helps people build that um, S and L, uh, and no, I'm not talking about that S and L, get your mind out the gutter and come back with me. But building those skills are these classes that you can go to with your friends to learn how to paint a picture. And it's like I said, it's brilliant because it gives you all the materials. Everybody gets the same materials. Everybody gets the same instructions, but, and they give you the one, two, three, and they tell you to, 
to, you know, uh, use your imagination and, and let your creative flair come out. And what ends up happening is, is you end up having renderings that look very similar, but you can see people's creative flair for that. And that is the power of learning how to think fast and slow, of learning how to use your trusting mind to tap into your creative, and learning how to use your training mind to not squelch your creativity, but to take it further so that it's not all over the place and that it's it's not uh, just so dry and so staunch that you're saying you can only do it this way. This is the way we've done it. This is the way we'll always do it. No. Today is about learning how to use the S's, the, the smooth, sinuous, um, seductive, uh, you name it with an S, to go through and explore your world, explore your ideas, and be able to come back with something that's real and uh, that's interesting and unique. And then you can take that And you can then start plotting angles of being able to express it in a way that makes sense for the masses who have been either taught or naturally think in angles, straight lines, and getting to the point. So guess what? My time is up. And I'm sure going to thank you for yours. This has been Michelle Spiva with today's podcast of Wisdom Smack, where I allowed myself to take advantage of my S's and dance my way through this Wisdom Smack. So guess what? If you like this, please uh, like, share, comment, subscribe, rate, and review. And you can also send me a message uh, through the Anchor FM platform. That would be great. And also, thank you everyone who is starting to support this podcast by using our link. We thank you so, so, so much. And if you would like to join us with that, please use Michelle Spiva. That's Michelle with two L's and Spiva, S-P-I-V like Victor A, uh, michellespiva.com forward slash A-M-Z. Whenever you go to Amazon, use our link because we may get a little bit of a commission from something that you buy and it will go towards helping to keep this podcast going. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. And um, I'll see you tomorrow. And that's going to do it for today's podcast of Wisdom Smack with Michelle Spiva. If you like this podcast, please help us get the word out. Like, comment, subscribe, and even share. And if you really like it, please help us continue to get the word out by considering using this show's link for Amazon. So when you want to go to Amazon and you do all of your general shopping, Uh, please use michellespiva.com forward slash AMZ. It's simple as that. It doesn't cost you anything extra. And this show might receive a little bit of commission that will go towards helping to further get these episodes out to you and to others. So thank you so much for listening. This has been Michelle Spiva with Wisdom Smack. Bye.